0: Oh, come, oh, come. page In the season of Advent we gather to give thanks for God's gracious gift. God in flesh comes as the image of the invisible Father. For centuries Israel waits for the promised king. As years turn into decades and decades into centuries, expectation wanes, hope barely flickers. On this first Sunday of Advent we light this candle Declaring with God's people through ages that despite waiting, our hope, our trust is in God, who has sent his Son.
1: Dear God, on this first Sunday of Advent, let this light shine brightly as the days grow shorter, so that we will be ready for your face to shine upon us at Christmas. In the Savior's name we pray.
2: Amen. (laughs) Please stand as we continue in worship together. I will sing forever of your love come down With my hands
0: to heaven shout your praises loud I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out I will sing forever of your love come down Come down with my hands to heaven, shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love, come down. I will sing forever of your love, come down. With my hands to heaven, shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled I believe in the sun. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin The light of the world is Jesus Like sunshine at noonday, his glory showed in. The light of the world is Jesus No darkness for those who in Jesus abide The light of the world. The light in the city of gold The light of the world is Jesus Lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy, mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was, was redeemed, in. only beauty. My orphan heart was given a name, my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to death, when death was arrested, my life began. He
3: Rejoice as
0: though heaven had lost.
2: worship we give you all of our honor we thank you for the grace and love that you have lavished upon each of us may you receive all the glory Lord amen you may be seated our scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into the plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord.
3: Hello friends, I'm Kristen Saniseth, and I wanted to let you know about an event that's happening this spring, but sign up is right now. So um, I'm the director for the Wesleyan women that um, embodies the 30-some churches that make up our district, from like Jamestown all the way like two hours north in Buffalo. All of us girls are Wesleyan women in this district and those churches that it represents, so, there's an event that Houghton College is putting on called Women of Worship. And they did it last year, and it was a concert and a speaker, and it was great. This year, it's bigger. So, it's an all day event that's happening in the K PAC. Um, I believe it's just in the K PAC, yes. And um, it's breakout sessions, and it's a keynote speaker from Proverbs 31 Ministries. And the concert at night is Laura's story. So I went to the people that are planning this event and I said, um, in the future, can the Wesleyan women kind of do an event in the KPAC or can we be incorporated somehow? And they said, come on in. So they added to this event just for us. And it's the just for us all over the district. So for $95, the Wesleyan women can go to this event, starts at 10 in the morning, goes till like 8.30ish, at night. And um, in there, they're going to give us the gold seating. So if you can envision in that huge KPAC building where the stage is, then that's us right there. And um, also they're going to do this dinner for us that will be in the Nielsen Center gym, which is kind of fantastic. And um, we, we just would really love for you to come. Um, I am... Gonna, um, that, that part specifically of the dinner is not where we're going to be listening, not where we're going to be um, kind of taking in what a speaker is saying. We're going to just be yakking and eating and hanging out and fellowshipping with the church, our, our girls in this church, and the other 30-some churches together. And we would love to have you there. So if you would like to sign up for that event, the deadline for our specific um, portion of this is December 7th. Um, there are some posters all around here. You can contact me. You can contact the college. We would love to have you invite, you know, other friends. We're not checking Wesleyan IDs at the door, so we would love to incorporate all of your ladies and um, sisters, moms, everybody, just to fellowship together and do this event. So we'd love to have you.
1: Thanks, Kristen. Wanted to make you aware also last Sunday night at the conclusion to the prayer vigil, we handed out these bookmarks that uh, are a picture of Pilgrim's Progress, one of the images of that, and Pray Freely, which was our theme. And on the back, we found a, a prayer that seemed especially appropriate, a prayer to be free. And we printed a number of these up. during the back table. Please feel free to take one or more of them if you want, just to, uh, as a reminder, as a prayer for what God has uh, done in your life and what you'd like for him to do as well. We also have the, uh, this year's Advent devotionals, uh, something for each Sunday in Advent for you uh, individually as a group of people, your family, however you want to do it. But there's a, a devotional reading for each Sunday in Advent. There's also an additional insert that uh, is taking this and specifically gearing it to children, small children particularly. So uh, those are there as well. Please feel free to take those with you today. And I also want to mention next Sunday we're going to be collecting the next set of refugee jars for our Matthew 8.20 initiative. And just want to remind you of that, and we'll be handing out another booklet as well for the next quarter. Let me invite you to uh, share a word of greeting with each other. And as you do that, you feel free to move forward if you want a little bit. I'm not going to force you to do that, but if you'd like to, we welcome you to do that. So when you think about heaven, um, what kind of images come to your mind? When you think about the the day when Christ is going to reappear and He's going to usher in the kingdom in all of its fullness, what what images come to your mind? I, I suspect that there may be as many images as there are of us here, and we have these ideas of what we we would like to see heaven to be, what we like to see that time to be, and and the. The truth of the matter is Scripture gives us a number of glimpses, a number of images, visions of what that is. And Isaiah 2 is one of those. And it is a fascinating image. I was reading this over and over again in preparation for talking about this this morning. And it just began to grab me of the the joy of the image that Isaiah paints here. This is an image in which the nations of the world are going to stream to God. I have in my mind this, this picture of, of, he talks about it being a mountain, and it's just surrounded by millions of people coming, being drawn, yearning, hoping, moving toward where God is. But it's not just that. As they come, the nations are going to be transformed. It says they're going to come and they're going to worship. They're going to learn who God is. Perhaps for the first time in their lives, people are going to come and say, Oh, that's what God is. That's who God is. And they will worship Him. And, and they will learn of Him. And they, and then it says that God will mediate conflicts between the nations. So all the nations of the world that are at war with each other, that that have barriers between each other, all the nations and, and people groups of the world that see one another as enemies, God is going to break down the barriers and there's going to be reconciliation. So much so that all the ways in which we fight with each other as nations All of the weapons of war will no longer be necessary. And you know that people believe they're unnecessary because it'd be one thing if they said, well, let's just, we'll put these weapons in the back closet. But we know where they are in case we need them. You know, we do that with things in our house. Well, I probably don't need that anymore, but I'll save it just in case. It's not any of that. Everybody takes their weapons that they use for war and conflict and pain, and they are turning them into tools to plant and to harvest and to bring flourishing to the earth as God intended it. The image we see in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. These weapons that have been used to hurt, weapons that have been used to to divide and to injure and to conquer, are now used for the flourishing and the feeding of all people. And he takes it even one step further. Not only do they not need them, and not only do they not just put them in a closet, but they turn them into something else, and they take the next step, and he says they no longer will train for war anymore either. So there's no thought in the back of their minds, well, we need a contingency plan here just in case. So what happens if something arises? Well, we got a plan in place, and we train our people, and they know what to do. I mean, that's what we have to do now because we never know what's going to happen. And people are trained for for moments when they need to step in and rescue and step in and help and step in and, and conquer. But in that day, they won't even train for war anymore. No strategies. No battle plans. It's done finished. It's an awesome picture. And it seems to me that Isaiah is not just talking about nations fighting with each other, as important as it is to end to that. I think he's talking about people in general. Because we hurt each other. We we bring pain to each other. We have conflict with each other. We all know of people who who have become so disassociated from one another that they don't talk to each other anymore. They don't spend time together. They won't be in the same room together. And people live with so much pain and heartache. And in that day, it's going to be gone. Reconciliation, peace, healing. And at the center of this image is this mountain. He calls it the mountain of the Lord. And it says the mountain of the Lord will rise above all the other mountains, all above the earth, so everyone will see it. I don't think Isaiah means that up to that point, the mountain didn't exist. I think he means that at that point, all the clutter that's been in the way of seeing the mountain is gone. And everyone will see the mountain of the Lord as it's always been. There will be clarity and vision and revelation and understanding, truth. As you look back at Scripture, you find that God loves to inhabit space. So the Israelites, he tells them to build the tabernacle, and when it's completed... Exodus 40 tells us that God's spirit comes and dwells in that place and it is an amazing experience for them. The glory of the Lord. Because that's the place on earth where heaven and earth meet. They build the temple and the same thing in the Holy of Holies, the place where where heaven and earth meet, they overlap. And then the gospels tell us That when Jesus comes, he is the fullness of God in flesh. And now we have the greatest revelation of heaven and earth overlapping and meeting. And this mountain of the Lord is the fullness of heaven and earth coming together. It is the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of our prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, all of that happens. And it's true. And God does all of it. There's no human interaction, intervention in this at all. It's it's God's mountain. God's drawing the people. God is mediating between them. God is leading them to turn their, their weapons of Of war into instruments of flourishing. God does all of it. And in a sense, you feel like we can just sit back and let God do what He's going to do. And we just get to watch until you come to verse 5. And you come to verse 5, and He says, After all of this, you see now, here's the word of the Lord to my people walk in the light of the Lord. That's the word of God to his people, to you and to me. We have this great vision of what's going to happen when Jesus reappears and ushers in the fullness of the kingdom. What do we do in the meantime? In the meantime, he says, you walk in the light of the Lord. And I'm convinced that to walk in the light of the Lord is to live in such a way that we reflect the day that is to come. That we want that day to come. And we live in such a way that we become the answer, in a sense, to our own prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven through us. Now, we often think of of that day. We often think of of eternity. And we often think of of experiencing the, the promise that God has given us. It's often, we often think of it as sort of an escape from earth. That we get away from this place of pain and heartache and struggle and, and we get to escape all of this. And, and we feel bad for the people who don't, but hey, we get to escape. But when you see an image like this, and there are lots of others, others in the scripture like them, I think what we find is that our calling is not to, to live in such a way that we get to escape the problems of earth, but rather that we become agents of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. We get to be people who reflect the kingdom of God, and what it's like, what it looks like, what's the motivation, the priorities, the dynamics of the kingdom. We actually, as the church, get to glimpse, give people a glimpse of what it will be by how we live. And it's a huge responsibility But it's also an amazing responsibility, too. It's a great calling. And this is the the calling of God on the church to walk in the light. To let the the vision of that day affect how we live this day. Now, I suspect most of us would say, well, I love the vision of that day. I think that's going to be awesome. And and I embrace that with all of my being. But I think we have a little different perspective when we realize that to embrace that vision with all of our being means to live that way now, like we will live then. And to live with the same priorities and dynamics of being people of reconciliation. Being people who, who live in such a way that we reflect the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Now we're talking about a completely different thing. Someone said to me recently, we all embrace the image that Isaiah paints. It's a lot trickier to start thinking about living the way, the vision of Isaiah, that Isaiah paints. Living in such a way that our life is continually turned toward God. Living in such a way that we become people not of conflict and war, but people of peace and reconciliation. And the issue is, we do that the same way God does. We do that by vulnerability and risk and love and compassion. Because the kingdom of God is, uh, has filled us and that's what comes out of us. And that feels Vulnerable. It's one thing for us to put down our weapons. It's a whole other thing to put down our weapons when we realize that everybody else is playing by different rules. And they're not putting down their weapons. That's hard. It's a risk. You know, it kind of reminds me of of the, um, the old westerns you used to see, you know, where the... The two gunslingers are pointing their guns at each other and neither one of them wants to fire because they know they're both going to fire. And so they're, they're a stalemate and says, okay, I'll put mine down if you put yours down. It's okay. I'll put mine down if you put yours down. But nobody wants to be the first person to put their gun down because the other person might not put theirs down. And they sort of just sit there and not, nobody can do anything because nobody wants to be the first ones to, wants to make the first move and we sort of live in a world like that where we're always protecting ourselves and we're always careful to make sure that that we've got the upper hand or at least we're even with people but the radical call of the gospel is we're the ones who take the first step we're the ones who say I'm not going to continue this conflict. I'm going to ask forgiveness. I'm going to be the one who steps up and says, I was wrong. I'm going to be the one who is an agent of reconciliation. I'm going to be the one who becomes vulnerable, even though it's a huge risk to do that. Because that's what God does. When God chooses to come into this world, to rescue people, from our sins and all the consequences of our sin. He doesn't come in power. He comes in the vulnerability of an infant. There's nothing more vulnerable than a baby. A baby can't do anything for itself. A baby can't protect itself. A baby can't feed itself. A baby can't do anything for itself. It's helpless. And here is God in flesh as a helpless, vulnerable baby. And if that is how God comes to transform the world, that's the calling on God's people. It's hard, it's a risk. But we're simply following the example of God who continually takes risks. In the beginning of creation, God is taking risks over and over again. And so often, He takes a risk with people and they reject Him. And He keeps taking risks. He's taking risks with us. But that's who God is. And somehow, if the world is going to be different, somehow if the world is going to see what, who God is and what God is like, then they have to be able to see Him in us. And to see the fact that there is something different about people who say they're followers of Jesus. They see the light of Christ shining in us. One of the most amazing things that Jesus says is not, I'm the light of the world. We get that. The most amazing thing he says is that you're the light of the world. Really? I want to say, really, you want to hang your hat on us? Have you been around us? Do you know us? Really? This is who God is. And you and I get the privilege of helping people see the nature of God. We know people need it. We live in this broken, broken world. My niece has been traveling in parts of Europe over this Thanksgiving break, and she's been posting things on Facebook. And it intrigued me. The other day she was in Copenhagen, and she went to a place called the Museum of Broken Relationships. Wow, I didn't even know that such a place existed. And, and so I wrote her about it and said, tell me about this place. And I looked it up on the internet and it gave a little bit. But she said, it's an amazing place. And I found that there are 20 of these all over the world. And it's a place where people can come and they can bring items that, that are indicative of their broken relationship as a means of trying to find healing from it. He said, so most of the stuff was just everyday things. You know, a mixer, treadmill, a bicycle, card. I mean, it's kind of odd stuff, but just everyday things. That people said, this thing reminds me of this broken relationship and I need to give it away as a means of beginning my healing. But the thing that struck me is that we are such a broken world, such a hurting world, that we actually cre- can create museums about our brokenness. And who is going to be a presence to help heal our brokenness? Who's going to help people know that that Jesus has come to help bring healing, to bring healing to people in their brokenness, to bring life and hope and reconciliation? How's anybody going to know that? Unless God's people give them a glimpse of what God wants to do. that's our calling. When I was thinking about this mountain, my mind flashed back to the first time I drove down I-86 in the Columbia River Gorge, heading west. There is a place on that road that you come around a corner and right in front of you is Mount Hood. I grew up in southern Indiana. You know, for me, a mountain was that little, little ridge over there that you can maybe, if you see on your tiptoes, you can see over it. So to drive down and to view this for the very first time, I mean, I almost had to stop driving. I was just so taken back by this image in front of me. And every time I made that drive, dozens of times, it, it never stopped filling me with awe. And I see that image of, of God's mountain, the presence of God in this image that Isaiah paints, the only way that we're ever going to be able to be the people who help bring the kingdom of heaven on earth as, as it is in heaven is if we keep our eyes focused on the mountain. If that's our goal, if that's our purpose and our motivation, it is all about who God is. And so that's why we practice the spiritual disciplines. Prayer and scripture reading and worship and connecting with each other. All the spiritual disciplines is to help us create an atmosphere of openness. Too often the spiritual disciplines don't create an atmosphere of openness. They actually create a little bit of arrogance in us. Look at how much I read the scripture. Look at how long I pray. Look at how moral I am. And all those things are good. But if they aren't leading us to a more openness to Christ, then they're really being counterproductive. Look at the Gospels. There are all kinds of people who come to Jesus. They don't know the law. They, they probably, most of the culture would say they're not all that moral. But they have an openness to Jesus. And they find him. And then you've got a whole other group of people who know the law. They're moral, upstanding citizens. But they're completely closed off to Jesus. And they miss him. And the calling on our lives is to keep our eyes focused on God, on Christ. And during this Advent season, as we talk about thinking about moving toward Christmas, it's a time, it's a gift that the church has given us to prepare ourselves, to take time to ponder and to think and to, to look at our lives, the, about our openness to God and the focus of our lives. You know, it's a risk. Mountain climbing is a risk. You know, I'm, I'm not a mountain climber. I don't like getting up on the third or fourth rung of a ladder, so I'm not going to probably climb a 10,000-foot mountain. It's dangerous to climb mountains. That's why we're afraid. But the point of the Christian life is not how safe can we be. The point of the Christian life is, am I open enough to God to take risks and to be vulnerable? Do I trust God enough to be vulnerable? That's the call of the gospel. I think that's one reason why we struggle with so many of Jesus' parables. Over and over again, he keeps telling us that the people who are safe miss it. The people who trust him, take risks for him, find it. So this morning, as we move into this Advent season, let me ask you a question. Is there an adversarial relationship in your life that needs to be reconciled? Is there, is there a relationship that that honestly you're not really serving as a, a, a reconciler, but actually as a person who's creating more conflict? Is there, is there a, someone or some situation, maybe it's not a person, maybe it's a group of people, maybe it's a nation of the world that, that you're just really struggling with? And... God wants to speak into your heart about turning that that desire, that, that that feeling of conflict to reconciliation. And maybe to take the first step. To let people see a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven on earth might look like. Father, thank you for your grace to us. It's an amazing thing to to see a glimpse of your kingdom come. Give us hearts that are open to you. Father, this morning we come and this Advent Sunday and pray not only for ourselves but for this world. We know the world is filled with pain and heartache and struggle, and we ask that you would bless your church in the world. We pray, Father, especially for for the, for the Georges in Australia as they initiate this new ministry, and may your blessing be upon them. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Mexico as they attempt to worship, even despite great opposition Give them grace to love and to serve, to be agents of reconciliation and healing. We pray, Father, for refugees around the world. And we ask that you would bring peace and restoration home to them. Pray for places where people are recovering from disasters and attacks. And we pray for our nation that feels so divided right now and ask that you would help us to be catalysts for unity. We pray, Father, for the churches around us, the Crosstown Alliance Church and Pastor Gorham, pour out your blessing on this congregation. And for all those connected to us, for all who are grieving today, especially Blanche Weaver's family, give comfort and grace to them. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with health issues and ask that you would bring healing to them. Father, we pray that you would give peace to all who are concerned about the future. We pray that you would reconcile what seems irreconcilable, encourage where hope seems lost, provide for the needs that seem far, far beyond us. Father, we pray that you would fill us with the grace of Christ Give us hearts that are open to you and to find joy in being agents of reconciliation for your kingdom. We ask this through Jesus. Amen.
2: I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea, and I am safe on solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. I will not fear when darkness falls, His strength will help me scale these walls, I'll see the dawn of the rising sun, the Lord is my salvation. My hope is hidden in
0: the Lord. He flowers each promise of His Word. When winter fades, I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. In times of waiting, when I reach the final day, He will not leave me in the grave, but I will rise, He will call
3: as we sing.